Alrighty. Welcoming on Jim Ho. I'm your host, Sully, and we're talking about some free key uh, Star Trek writers who brought a lot to the show, whether they want to admit it or not. <laughs> oh, they're quite willing to admit it. It's just a matter of other people who don't recognize them that you know they should get their their uh their place in the sun, their moment of glory also. Right. It's like it's just up to the fans to just and even just people the genre and of just good writing in general who just got to check it out <laughs> absolutely yo you, you you hear all that interplay back in TOS with between Kirk and Spock and and Bones I mean there's writers that made that happen I mean they, they delivered the lines but someone had to write those lines and you know those some of those the best lines ever you know, that people remember, they, they spouted it years and years after the fact. You know, 50 years later, they still remember the scene about Antonio uh, uh, Webb, how, how Bones and Spock really full-paced lying to, to Kirk about his final, final order. It's, it's, it's so classic. It's so, so classic. classic. We, we often yeah. think of just Gene Roddenberry, and it's like, no... Don't don't get me wrong. He deserves his own credit alone for overseeing the whole thing. But people forget, you know, that he by season three, he he was just giving notes. You know, he was getting annoyed by having to deal with network execs. Um, and well, we'll, we'll mention him a little more briefly. But um, uh, yeah, I, I figured we, you know, so we're going to talk about uh, DC Fontana, uh, Harlan Ellison and Gene L. Kuhn. And sounds good. I, I figure Montana is just a cool one to get into because, you know, back when, she's you know, she's a groundbreaker. Groundbreaking. Yeah. There weren't that many female writers back then. And they had to get through, you know, the stereotypes and sexism that, oh, this should just be housewives or whatever. And it's like they, she cut through all those, that bigotry back then. And, you know, they titled her as, you know, DC because they were afraid, you know, it stands for Dorothy Catherine and they were just afraid. Yes. And, Roddenberry, you know, much like how he worked with getting the, you know, Kirk and Yahura, you know, biracial kiss on, you know, he was uh, the right people know how to play their cards. And his poker face was, okay, just let's call you DC. So no one will, you know, we, we can get through the basically the internet troll equivalents back then, you know, we can get through and make this groundbreaking stuff and let you do your thing and make a living doing this. So DC, you know, had made a living doing, you know, writing for Streets of San Francisco and Ghost Story and later, you know, but yeah, she wrote various scripts throughout the run of the original Star Trek and later contributed uh, to uh, earlier Next Gen as well as the animated series and with that classic, yeah, with that classic yes, yesteryear, that's such a classic for her. Yesteryear, a great one. And then uh, a key, you know, self-titled episode, Dax of Deep Space Nine. She also wrote uh, free season one episodes of Babylon 5, as well as the 90s virtual reality uh, cartoon reboot, as well as Ron Berry's inspired Earth Final Conflict, as well as the award-winning uh, web series Star Trek Phase 2. And she's also contributed to other stuff like The Waltons, Logan's Run Show, Dallas, and mm -hmm. Buck Rogers. So... And the eighties war of the worlds. Yeah. yeah, I I in fact it was just kinda of funny. I, I just posted on um Facebook and on some of the uh the groups how there was a Easter egg where Brent Spiner was talking to Lil Hofstetter and in the background you have DC Fontana, 
you have uh, uh, David Gerard uh, in the background as background players, just chatting as, as point guests. And there's just a cool, not a cool thing to see that they're in the background over there, just hanging out, chilling, just having a couple, couple of, a uh, couple of liquids, and just chit chatting. Right. Uh, just all. Uh, the, all these guys, even though they might not always be on screen, you know, he, he keeps in touch with them. They're his friends. <laughs> they, 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 I'm, I'm so glad that they were able to transcend the years, even though you're going from one series to another, you know, you're jumping, you know, there's, there's a lag of, say, 15 years between TOS and Next Gen and, and DS9 and all that, but they would just still keep them together and be able to interplay with them and just uh, give a little nod to them in, in, in certain ways, even though right. it's been a long time. Um, I remember those that did not with, um, oh gosh, I remember the episode with, um, maybe you could give me the name of the episode, where uh, uh, Cisco is going is transported back in time and he's at this uh, Pulp Fiction magazine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Total throwback episode, yeah. Yeah, and and they and they have a throwback that one of the characters on there was, you know, was in way DC Fontana, where they, she had to put her her name as a guy because they they wouldn't believe that a girl could write science fiction, so she had to write write up as a guy. You know, had they known the plume to to get a story on the air, so to speak, in in, in print. So that was, that was a nice nod to a. Uh, Dorothy on that, where they had to use that similar to what they did on uh, on TV. That was a cool thing to see. Yeah, it, it's very cool. Uh, you know, she has unfortunately left us, but um, it, it's been pretty cool to see that she, you know, got to be on some of the various conventions, making ofs and featurettes, and yes, uh, and like you say, they do little in inside jokes for. Her. Uh, she passed away uh, in 2019 at age. Uh, seventy-six. Wow, man. And she has won the Morgan Cox Award in '02 from the Writers Guild, and and twice uh, named in the American Screenwriter Association's Hall of Fame, and as well as inducted into the Museum of Pop Culture Sci-Fi and Fantasy Hall of Fame. So that's well pretty deserved. awesome. Well deserved. Yeah, and she had previously worked in. A little known fact on Ron Berry's show, The Lieutenant, which was about a military boot camp. Would have which had plenty of plenty of of Star Trek actors on there. And, yeah, and that and the movie on that. That and the movie uh, Genesis 2. Yeah. And yeah, Ron Berry, like any good producer, he would keep using some of the same good actors because he knew he could rely upon them to interpret his material and be on time. Yeah. It, uh, she she is kind of underrated in a way because you kind of wish you know often when I see you know writers that are mentioned I often only see ones that are from like later like well we'll, we'll get to Coon but I often see him right. like the first one mentioned and often the rest of the time you see Ron Barry and don't get me wrong all of them did great stuff especially later on but yeah I'll often only just see like Iris Stephen Barr you know uh Renee Acaveria and Ronald D. Moore I'm like okay those guys are amazing but <laughs> don't forget some of the other OGs don't forget some of the other they're ones. The ones right they're the ones who laid up the groundwork for everyone else to go past they were the trailblazers they had to yeah. do this on actual typewriters you know <laughs> right oh yeah <laughs> back then um, I had an old Olivia 
So that was my old typewriter back in the day. <laughs> there you go. Oh man. So yeah, no, she's a total boss and I she's just so insightful whenever you hear her speak about writing and and she has such a passion for it. She if anything, I, I would even argue I I know a lot of people like to complain about, you know, next gen's first two seasons, you know, how they might be a little dated and the show didn't have its voice yet. But I, I do feel like if anything, a lot of her scripts, you know, had a lot of plots that, you know, would have definitely have been used back in the day on the original show. And she was just giving them that same blueprint to identify with, you know, the newcomers. Yes, I I, I totally agree with that. You know, it, there was enough, um, I won't say, there, there was enough resistance to the, new, to the new generation TNG because all we had before was TOS. And then to have this new group of people come in. The quote usurp our I love TOS. We, you know, a lot of people just have this attitude, like, you know, nothing could beat that. Well, they could, they could. You just gotta it give could be better, stuff. but she's at yeah, least got the right insight, and it's up to the new directors and producers and other people who they've hired to, you know, right to, to, to right to get moving also. So it wasn't it's, it's, like I said, it's a team effort. Like you know, it's a tapestry. One you can't do without the other. So right. Um, so without without the writers and without the people doing the various things behind the scenes, it's just not gonna flow. Or you can have something like Star Lost, or you can have um, uh, Logan's Run <laughs> back in the day. I don't know you remember Logan's Run, the TV yeah, show. Yeah, good show. And Buck Rogers, I am a huge fan of. And so it's just cool that she was a recurring producer and got to write one key episode on that, where he sees the Amazon women. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, oh, that was a hottie one. <laughs> As a yep, teenage yep. boy, that was a goodie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's the thing, you know, even when these shows get a little dated or don't seem as progressive when they're made by otherwise progressive people, they're still just a fun retro back in time kind of thing. And uh, and I, I'm, I'm glad she got to be part of it, especially earlier B5, back when it was, you know, finding its voice. And yes. uh, J. Michael Zorzinski, you know, as we know, you know, he took the Star Trek template and then he made his own, you know, what he intended Style. to be of, oh yeah, yes. a mysterious five season run, and you know, much like people were taken from X Files, there are a lot of other just hardcore TV, you know, writers who will often admit is like we planned a five year run, and then we we took from B five. So uh, and you know, this was before Straczynski resorted to then you know writing the whole thing because it, it was cool yes. that he had some of that inside help and. I, I think she was just one of two writers who contributed that first year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like I said, yes. Yeah. Like I said, DC just does, doesn't get the credit that she, that she should get. That's very unfortunate. She but, should be yeah, on like was... every top 20 list, like but iconic sci-fi TV writers. <laughs> I hope she can be on there somewhere. <laughs> she, 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 um, she, she transcended uh, not just one genre, not just Star Trek. She, she she went, you know, different areas, like you said. You know, she was on Babylon 5 and a few other ones. So, you know, she she, she was able to uh, change, the, uh, change the plot and the elements to fit that particular series. Yeah, because so, people forget, you know, it was still produced just like a typical kind of Western or adventure show, and it just happened sure. to have people in sci-fi suits and on a spaceship. <laughs> but, yeah. So... 
this brings us to uh, Harlan Ellison. You might know him best as the writer of A Boy and His Dog, which was later adapted into a pretty cool 1975 movie. Yes, it was. Uh, yep. The short story, I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream, which is a 1967 short story about a computer that tortures the last five humans on Earth. Yes. And Repent Harlequin said the TikTok Man, which is a story about a futuristic society in which time is regimented by a fearsome figure called the TikTok Man. And man, yes. He's known for his cynicism, his views on atheism, elitism, violence, and even Scientology. And he's been interviewed by Merv Griffin and Tom Snyder, let alone how uh, his Outer Limits uh, short story was the very story that he accused the creators of the Terminator of plagiarizing. <laughs> Although I, lo I love that story with him, with the, de uh, the, the, um, the demon with the uh, glass hand. That was, yeah. that, that was a classic. Oh, my goodness. I have no mouth. I love that scream. One. Yeah, pretty yes. creepy, and uh, it, and of course, uh, the city on the edge of forever was the very script that involved some time travel. Was an iconic original series Star Trek episode, and fans have learned to put you know their differences aside. You know, Ellison disowned it because Roddenberry rewrote it like he did every script, and you look at the changes they're pretty minor. He just has like problems with like how they address like the time travelers and. Yes. and other stuff like well, that. I, I think Harlequin took much more was much more passionate about his work and, and refused to let anyone touch it. I mean, if you touch like one syllable of his work, he's gonna go crazy on you. Oh, you're touching my work. It's perfect the way it is. You don't need to make rewrite or minor rewrite. That's what he was. He just he just he was. I guess the person who said best was the guy from um, Robert Block. It says about 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 Holland that the only living organism I know whose natural habitat is hot water. I mean that's, that 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 typifies. I Holland. do seem to recall that author said some or like that. Yeah, and uh, like like you say, I mean he is cynical, but I mean that's kind of what makes him great. He's just he he has all this philosophy and all this off kilter stuff that definitely evokes kind of uh robert all the Heinlands of the world all these other guys and uh plenty of these other satirists and what have you and um it's just so funny how uh you know uh that uh he's just worked on all these other things he later went on to be fought uh be on babylon 5 as a creative consultant and, mm -hmm. he, and he and krasinski got along just fine he would pretty much just, for those who don't know you know when you're a consultant often you'll just be paid for a phone call you know <laughs> it's like but it, it, it's beyond call like like you say if you're, if you're a doctor or anyone else you get to pay to sit there and wait for the phone call that's that's your job that's you literally no phone it. Call, yeah. or five, or five phone calls that's, but you get paid anyway so that's that's okay <laughs> <laughs> that's a great gig be on call you know you just hang and chill till you get the phone call well now you get the zoom call now before this is a phone call <laughs> uh i love how uh his widow uh said that her husband uh, put his star trek lingo behind him but he would still never watch the so-called classic episode and and she said let's not go that far i'm like okay well okay. <laughs> sounds like he was pretty annoyed um but yeah he had a jewish background he uh his father was a dentist and jeweler. His mom worked in a thrift store, and he was bullied in school. 
largely for his faith. And that experience made him feel like an outsider and fueled his anger. And that's what he put into his various short stories, books, <laughs> even his film reviews. And uh, yeah, no, I, I always see him brought up and I, I can't deny his place in the genre. And uh, he looked at storytelling apparently as a holy chore is what he cited as saying. And he passed away in 2018 at the age of 84. So pretty big life. Yeah, long life. He, he, he's a great body of work. A lot, a lot of stories that he left behind for us. So I'm glad about that. He oh, was totally. cut short. He, he might yeah, he might be yeah, close like, to it, but you know what? What can you do? He just he has brought so much to the material. <laughs> it's just it's just interesting his personality. If I know better, although you know, just listening to some of his interviews and his readings interviews, if I know better, I swear because you know I'm, I'm I'm bipolar. I got bipolar too, so I can understand when sometimes your filters are off and you say it the way it is. No matter what, and you don't like it, he doesn't care. And then, I mean, God, that guy should be bipolar. I mean, he, he, no one's saying anything about it, but he certainly has all the manifestations of, of being bipolar spectrum somewhere. So I wouldn't be surprised if, I mean, because there are moments, I mean, back before we had the internet and we were embracing any kind of mental health disorder that we had or just unhappiness and addressing it, you know, it's like, it seemed like it, people gave into peer pressure, you know, you'd have parents who want to tell you, hey, you should work here, you'd have other kind of peer pressure. And it was uncool to say things that, you know, that were true to you. Right, they didn't fit the normal, like everyone else, you have to to be a cookie cutter. If you want a cookie cutter, I mean, that's what these actors often got, you know, it's like, wait, what? You want to, you know, because it was considered kind of a freak thing, no different than being a prostitute back then. And you're just like, well, yes. I want to perform for the stage and film. That's what I want to do. That's not a nine to five, you know, job like being a, you know, a clerk or, a, you know, a secretary or what have you. Yeah, sorry, that's, that's not what I want to do. I, I, I'm, I'm just I'm just sorry that the, the, the series, the Big Bang Theory didn't come out like 20 or 30 years, 40 years ago. Well, I could certainly relate to some geekiness of those guys, and you know, because I got picked on like everyone else who was a little sci fi geeky. Oh, yeah, but but at the same time, it was just really felt a lot better back then. If I tell oh, there's a lot of people like me, you know, it was kind of the cult underground kind of thing, and yeah, Star Wars was the cool kid in school, and Star Trek was the uncool thing. And this is like, I I can like both, I'm gonna like both. Yeah, I, I I I don't just own Star Wars. I enjoy Star Wars. I I just passionate about Star Trek, and I love all the other genres out there. But I'm just passionate about Star Trek. But I don't just yeah. own all the other ones. You know, they all have their place. They all well, I'm a quite good. It's just and, Trek is a little deeper, and it's got a lot of other welcome elements of other genres. So yeah, it's uh, like it's kind of why we come back to it more. It's just <laughs> absolutely, and and also it's got a lot more years of of um history. That you have to interweave, and, and gosh, nowadays social commentary, so yeah. <laughs> you gotta be so careful, making sure you don't quote Nick mistake with, with canon, like, oh, but this happened back in 1967, and you can't do this because that's what that's what they said. You can't break canon. Well, it's kind of hard to remember everything, you know, even with all the all the resources available to you. Make sure you don't screw up and do something that's not going against what was done before, or at least make sure the 
you know, the character has a consequence that kind of echoes some of that same stuff, that same commentary. Ooh. And I, I think that's just it. I mean, pretty much if you're hired by track, it's not just that you're a fan. It's also that essentially you are, you know, very used to reading all kinds of philosophy and what have you. Sure. Yeah, you immerse yourself into the, you know, you can, you can, you can wrap your, your body around the culture of, of Star Trek when, you know, when you have to, when you're, when you're in the writing mode or you, you're doing your, doing your uh, business when you're on set or whatever. You just got to just immerse yourself, you know, be a method, method, method actor or method Correct. writer. You just got to go right into it and go right into... Yeah, into just like actors have their own character backstory. My character behaves this and that way, not trying to be a diva. This is just how we've done it since day one and established it. Same thing with the writers. is like, they always have their rules. It's like, okay. And, and you know, Roddenberry, he was having kind of that bipolar kind of issue when he was losing his mind uh, before passing away. And it's just like, yeah. they, they would always have, one minute they would get a legit gene reaction it was like okay no one can die or you got to resolve this peacefully and then sometimes he would insert all this other stuff that was not part of his progressive you know upbringing to because he was losing his mind back then and yeah you know his people know the infamous stories about his lawyer you know taking over a few things and he wasn't a writer let alone anyone who should be giving a second opinion he's just you know jeans you know guy doing all the book work you know it's like dude stay in your lane <laughs> it's right stay in your lane okay you're not you're your lawyer do your do your or your uh a bean a, a bean counter stay in your lane don't don't get out of your lane please okay you're right yeah, no no disrespect but seriously please respect the writers and i i can't blame harlan for being like some of the other ones i i, I know um, Melissa Snodgrass and some of those other ones would say and it's like hey we're we're thankful for the experience and at the same time you know those writers rooms were a little toxic and we had to just credit ourselves under a different name because we just hated being associated with those changes <laughs> yeah it just goes to like I said they have they have, they, they have they, not say evil but you know they, they have their pride you know you, you, this, this is your body of work this is what you do and you, and to have your your baby transformed to something you don't like. You know, you, you, yes, I like the paycheck. I like the prestige in doing it. But at the same time, I don't want to be associated and let people know that that's not really my baby. It was, it was, it was transformed like a Frankenstein monster to something that I, I don't believe in. But but the money's good. So I want to continue to work with them. So I'll keep my mouth shut and just change my name. So what can I say? A thousand percent couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, it, it leaves so much to just kind of just open up your mind and say, just sometimes the work is greater than anyone even realizes. <laughs> but especially once you give it the, the, give it the passage of time, a lot of times things that happen now, even for instance, now in 2022, it may seem awful now, but you give it 10 years from now, it might not seem, seem so bad. The same thing for, a lot of the episodes and a lot of things that happened in Star Trek previously, it's sort of when it happened, like it kind of stinks. It's not really what it's about. And you, then you wait a while and you think, oh, this is a little progressive than we thought. You know, it's not as bad. You know, now looking back on it, that was when we looked at it originally. So uh, people just got to take a grain of salt, relax, take a chill pill, let, 
let history dictate what says. Um, the way it is now with, with internet, everyone can state opinion. It's not like the old days where everyone's done by snail mail, uh, fanzines, conventions. Now, instantly, boom, I have, a, I have an opinion. I'm going to post it somewhere. Post, someone's going to see it. And I'll have like maybe like 500 followers who agree with me or not agree with me. And before, that, used, that never used to happen. But now everyone has an opinion that could be, ex, that could be uh, shown. And you know, it's just, a, it's just a, a much different playing field than it now there was back then. It's much different. Yeah, there's no real filter. It's like, okay, what do you hope, you know, you should approach it like an essay where it's just like, what do you hope to do at the end of this, you know? Right. That, uh, that makes perfect sense. But yeah, it's sometimes it's wishful thinking where it's just like, okay, well, it's kind of backfiring. You know? <laughs> it does backfire a lot of times. It certainly does. It certainly does. But like I said, it, it, like I said, it is what it is. And like I said, even, even, the, even like you're going, it's just jumping over to Gene Kuhn. Uh, I mean, he... Yes, thank you for that segue, actually. <laughs> I forget uh, about him. Yeah, he, yeah uh, so... He was, he was trailblazer. I mean, he established some of the, some of the, 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 uh, the pillars of what Star Trek is, the, uh, the Pope except some of the Bible, or, or, you know, certain things that, that happened, and people followed. And, and it's glad that they didn't try to change it too much. They pretty mm-hmm. much uh, kept it the way it was. Um... The thing with the uh, the Federation and with the Prime Directive and everything else, it's pretty much, pretty much the same now as it is back then. Minor adjustments, people change a little bit, but pretty much the core information message is still there, which I, which I think is great, a great testament to... He was a trailblazer yeah. for sure, just kind yes. of the unofficial showrunner in a way. He was just always one of the lead writers and producers, and much like DC, he later worked, worked on... Uh, uh, the streets of San Francisco, and uh, before that, he did a lot of other war and western and crime shows like Have Gun Will Travel, Maverick, Wagon Train, Wagon which, Train, which, which, yep. which is often what Deep Space Nine was considered to be. Yeah, and Dragnet, yes. Bonanza, my favorite Martian, the FBI, and my favorite Combat. <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh, Vic Moore. Oh boy, that was that's going back a long time. I remember that, but now. It pretty much was the Star Trek of its day. Is uh, everyone gets together in a new village that they're at war in, and you know, everyone gets their moment to speak and resolve an issue. And I mean, it makes sense that he would be on this because it's the same kind of deal. Except now he's got to format it to Roddenberry's kind of you know standard, which is you know show all these different smart you know scientists and uh, Starfleet military guys and yes what do they do on their predicament and yeah no it it's cool that he got to do that uh, he was a producer also on the city of edge of tomorrow episode so uh, i'm sure he would contribute a lot of different things and uh it, it seems like i i can't go with one discussion without seeing him listed on one of the top star trek writer you know discussion it's just a shame they they died so young they died in the forties. Yeah, know. he didn't. He, he didn't make it past the seventies. Yeah, he passed away in seventy three at age forty nine. Wow, it's. I just wish, like I said, I would have been so great to see him jump over into TNG where he could have like participated in that. I'm quite sure he would have been a wonderful 
uh, inspiration and, 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 and the guidepost for, for other people to listen to, to, to format their ideas of how it should be and, and incorporate his ideas and his beliefs in there. It was such a, a nice merging of, of, of beliefs and, and ideas into, into a new, new baby, so to speak. You know, combining the two. Just, it would have been welcome. It would have been totally welcome. Um, yeah, uh, he's done some big movies like uh, The Raiders, The Killers, and Journey to Shiloh, as well as Roddenberry's TV movie, The Quester Tapes. Uh, I you know, love which... that. I, I'm, I'm so heartbroken it never became a series. That's such potential being. It really could have. Uh, fun enough, funny enough, DC Fontana also wrote a novelization version of it. <laughs> yes, that's and correct. Foxworth, who was a common you know track actor, also was the main cyborg android guy on there. And yep, with Mike Farrell, with DJ Honeycut. <laughs> yes, uh, there's another throwback man. You're you're going into the uh, vault. Um, yes. Yeah. So he he's he's probably the most prolific. He has probably more credits than any of these guys. He's done other stuff like Laredo, Peter Gunn, uh, General Electric Theater, The Mod Squad, and Kung Fu. So, yeah, he's he, he some big, big games. Yeah, I mean, that was spit out there. Give, give, even, give, give me the, <laughs> even the original show, The Wild Wild West. And what's yeah. funny is, uh, you know, that came out around this after track, but I, my, my dad always kind of considered that, you know, track, but in the wild West, you know, his, yes. Kirk and Spock were, you know, just, uh, badass sheriff. Train. Yeah. On a wagon train and like a badass, and one of them have to be an inventor with sci-fi gizmos. <laughs> <laughs> so in a way they're almost like the Batman and Robin, but in the West. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Uh, Apparently, uh, Bill Shatner dedicated a chapter in his memoir, Star Trek Memories, to uh, 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 Gene Kuhn called Unsung Hero. So that's pretty cool. And to have Shatner give such a big play in this book really means a lot. Because great as the man is, he does not dispense credit as readily as he should. But in this case, he really gave it his all. So you know that. It really was heartfelt when he gave that such such a big plug to Gene. Yeah, even when Shatner takes away his ego, he he often really, you know, you can often tell when he legit really likes someone. <laughs> right. Man, oh man. So that's pretty cool. That is. Uh, altogether, um, uh, uh, who would you say are your favorites out, out of these three that we picked tonight? <laughs> Three, it, you know, oh gosh, yeah. It really depends on my, my on my mood. I hate to say, people give that that old cliche about what's your favorite ten best five episodes of Star Trek. Well, it depends. Can't what you're pick your favorite. For. That's not good. <laughs> well, you can't even take, you have to, to qualify. Are you asking about a, a a funny? You know, something that's funny that I go with, like like trials and tribulations. You know. Uh, things of, of that sort, you know, a piece of the action, but going for humor. If I'm going for a morality play, you know, like a, a obsession or or things like that, or or, or it really depends like what I'm in the mood for. If I'm, yeah, I'm in the mood for, if I'm looking, if I'm in the mood for like a deep, deep philosophical discussion, you know, or, oh, deep subject, then that's one set of, of, of episodes and. So and so forth. So I've got like five, 
Five sets I go with, depending on my mood. Funny, action. But when I go, yes, knock them out like the Doomsday Machine. You know, action, <laughs> a morality play where you know you're talking about you know, a deep talk about morality of some sort, whether it be obsession or, or things of like that, or or the human nature, something like human nature. So, um, but uh, okay, Harlan. He he's type he's a person I go for if I want a a deep thought on what what's going on. You know, he 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 writes deep into certain matters and he makes you think a lot. Yeah, and even though a lot of his work is just adapted, you know, he, the the idea is just speaks so big, you know. Yeah. Right, and 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 Gene, like I said, Gene, if I want something that's got a little humor in it, you know, or, or just a little morality, I go with Gene because he's basically. Roddenberry's right hand. There's a reason they call him right. Forgotten Gene. He's just like he's there to kind of just make sure, hey, yeah, there's, like you say, it's a morality play at the end of this right. in between the Spock and Bones humor. <laughs> right, exactly that type of humor. You don't get that often, you know. And written well, where you can believe them saying that, um, or just they, a, they or, would totally talk this way versus other ones where you're like, well, okay, that was rewritten by someone else, you know. Right. <laughs> I mean, even that, even that, even that, uh, the, the, the scene in uh, Immunity Syndrome where Spock tells McCoy, you know, wish him luck, and he walks away and goes to the shell crab, and McCoy's mother's real softly, good luck, but he doesn't, he doesn't, t- he doesn't tell him that in his face. Then later <laughs> yeah. on, and then later on, you know, Spock says, Dr. McCoy show wish me luck, you know, like wow, you know. Whoa. <laughs> he didn't say it, you know, say so it's like wow, that's a shock me. First of all, I, I I understood that. Um and I think DC Fontana, you know, she was how do you describe it? She was the type of person that was a trailblazer. You know, I I, I cheer it such because she kind of she, would coat everything with detail, with characterization, kind of like any exactly. good writer's room. She would, right. She would, she would coat everything, and she, she was meticulous, and she... Uh, Here's the science behind this whole scenario, which they'll exactly, have to use exactly. to stop the nuclear reactor, or so-and-so's yeah. first day using a spaceship. She's just that kind of cool gal, and... Yeah, and, and it's... You know, she was like, you know, she reminds me of 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 of, 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 of a fan being on the show. Like, if I, if if I was gonna be, if I was gonna be on the show Star Trek, I want DC Fontana to to write me into it the way she would write me because that'd be like a fan doing it. You know, like going into the show and being, you know, being being a fan, uh, a fan guy, just just oozing in and, and just taking it all in. That's what <laughs> I feel like... about her. Yep. And she she noted how uh, she really dug all the characters, just how strong they were. She, believe it or not, even though she only did one episode, she Deep Space Nine was her favorite. So that's wild. Usually, you know, when you get the track writers, they're often just going to mention just what they worked on, you know, as their favorite. So that's pretty wild. But yeah, she she went from being Ron Berry's secretary to then being a key writer and uh. uh uh, she she's quoted as going into season three when Ron Berry did not wish to continue uh, uh, as story editor. Uh, she wanted to freelance and write for other series. 
yes. did, however, want to continue to do scripts, and Gene was agreeable to this. I was given a contract in February of 68 and called for a guarantee of free scripts with an option for free more. When anyone have asked why I chose to leave the editorship, I had always given this reply. <laughs> you referred to this back then. You took, you took it back 50, 55 years ago, you know, 53 years ago. Where contract negotiation was different, yeah. Exactly. There, you look at just you. It's in the sixties. You want to get paid. You want, you know, you have to, you have to put money, put, you know, you pay your bills. It was a cool show, but you still have to pay your bills. And there's no backup that like there is now, where if I, if, if this failed, I could do something else. Nowadays, you know what? If you, if you arrive for Star Trek, any of the new series or anything else, you have backup. You, you have network. You have all these different things you could do to make money or do something else to branch out. So it's a complete, people realize it's a completely different animal back in the 60s, completely different. You got to realize the time frame and, and, and the area you're working with all the time. It's not just, it's, it's not just uh, political, it's what I call geopolitical or geohistorical, where you have to realize that the time element, where it was, is very, very important. 1960s. Yeah. The uh, post Vietnam, and we're having to find ways to creatively outspeak, you know? <laughs> Right, right, exactly. Just all you gotta do is just think, think of the sixties, think of what was going on during the times you know, Star Trek was on. You get Vietnam, you get assassinations, you have civil rights, you know, you have always this, you know, always all the stuff in on. question that you know we're trying to break through. <laughs> exactly. So, and I, I always like the fact they were able to stick a little something in with the past the census where they would get a little morality play about the the theory that they were in the sixties. I always thought that was kind of cool. Looking back on, like they were slip that past the good old NBC but edit sensors and let them get fly with that. So that's always cool. Oh yeah, and especially now where there's just so many other guys um, that you know just either do or don't let stuff you know fly, and it's just cool that this is how uh, you know some people you know it's beneath them. They just don't understand what they're even discussing or being asked to discuss so it's cool that again yeah just the right people get it and they can get away with it absolutely so true so true but like like you say there's just so many social and civil uh, stuff having to be called into question and it's cool that you know if anything these great shows can remind people uh, about stuff that is taken for granted nowadays that should still be reminded about yes that still reverberates through all these years why do you think we talk about some of our favorite fantasy and horror movies because there's social commentary often in them (laughs) yes there are and you don't realize if you think about it it is and a lot of it still applies the ones that are good it it, 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 it ages well it's you know it doesn't age at all really it's no matter how many years go by so certain things continue to go and, and and become um, famous for the next generation and the next generation, and it doesn't it doesn't change at that point? It's not just you know, the the, the uh, baby boomers or or Generation X. It it, it transcends it generations. Thousand percent. And oh man, it's just so deep, so so deep, so dense. Uh, yes, it is. It is fun looking up uh, some of her commentary. How she had some unused. Uh, material for the Quester tapes, as well as the show Logan's Run, and 
on Logan's run, there was a sentient human-like android called Rim, and that character Rim, yep. wasn't in the movie or the book version, but was on the show, and uh, it was known as being similar to the Quester character uh, that Ron Barry had for his own TV pilot, yes. and Rim's uh, leftover scripting was used for the developing of data on Next Gen, so that's pretty cool. Yes, you, you, you don't throw away good material just because it doesn't the show doesn't last you you shape it use it (laughs) yeah uh, no need to write anything just blend old stuff and detail that (laughs) why not sure absolutely and i applaud her on her hugo award nom that's kind of an award show that doesn't get talked about enough i mean it's so hard to win something like that (laughs) yeah especially nowadays um it's so political politicized um Hugo Rewards, you know, before you, still, you have to read the book, read the thing, you know, talk about it, whatever. And now it's just like... Even Peabody Awards, I don't see as much talked about as those. I'm like, isn't that... It? Well, that was a big deal, especially in the 90s. It was, right, it was. It just, it just gets fluffed nowadays. It doesn't get the um, the recognition that you used to get, you know, I want Peabody Award, you know, I want, you know, I, I want Hugo. Yeah, it's great, but back then it was a big deal. I mean, uh, stuff we wish we could talk about more. Yeah. Although the funny thing is, I mean, it's Star Trek was on for three seasons, the original TOS. And it's just funny that out of the three seasons, you know, the first is like Leo Nemo, never got an Emmy for being a, lead on a on yeah, TV show. I see so many people complain about action and even horror movies not getting enough recognition. I'm like, yeah, but you better recognize that sci-fi especially gets mocked. There's still some people who, I mean, that's why they would borrow, you know, for B5, you know, track directors like Adam Demoy and Mark Mike Vijar, because they're like, they're the only ones who know how to shoot it and organize it this way, even though it's really, even though we're using the same techniques that are being used in all the medical and procedural shows, it's just people, like you say, when they put up a barrier and they don't want to understand something, just the ignorance just is abound, unfortunately. That's true. They really, they, people just, oh, I'll use the P word, they have a prejudice against, against sci-fi in, in many ways, you know, from the Academy Awards to to every other awards anything else out there. You think that's not as good as drama. It is drama. It's, it is, it's great. You, know, you write it well. You remember that just as well as all the other shows out there. It's just set in space or set somewhere else. Yeah. You know, it's the writers that determine that. Just because it has star in it doesn't mean it's bad. <laughs> right. Doesn't mean it's bad. Doesn't mean you know, it's less good than being in a hostel or, or being... In, 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 uh, out west, you know, old, you know, back in the western, it's just a different, uh, you know, just in a different setting. But if you can transport to different areas, it's still the same, same issues that involve, you know, people who, who who want to improve themselves or have a problem, they're trying to resolve it, and they're going through it in, in, and going through it as humans and, and having the the bubbles and problems in dealing with that and, and with with things outside the control and things that. Are, that they can control you and deal with human beings with, with their fallacies and, and issues and personalities. Oh boy. <sighs> Having to deal with just so much that we just wish wasn't a deal. But... Yeah, like I said, sometimes you just, 
which which goes back sometimes people enjoy being I hate you know but during pandemic just being doing the zoom meetings or just working out of the house you have all this politics right there you do mm-hmm. what you have to do and you're done and you have to deal with all the the collateral stuff that needs to be taken care of while you're, while you're in the office setting which is <laughs> bad <laughs> go for it go for it all righty well it's been a delight having you on here and uh anything you would care to promote anything promote um no not not, not per se like i said the only thing i promote actually is that i i, I, I you know, i'm on facebook a lot people see who i am jim 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 ho or jimmy ho or whatever and I'm, I'm around a lot and i post a lot of things on my on my timeline the only thing i promote is that heck just because you have issues i have issues like you have issues my yeah. issues, I've got bipolar, you know, I, I, I'm high-functioning, I'm not a total crazy person, you know, I, I'm transparent about, everyone knows I have it, and... Uh, Let's not villainize anybody, with, yeah. <laughs> right, I, I'm not, I, I don't feel stigmatized by it, and like I said, it's something I can live with, I live with it, and, and it's, it's not shameful, it's not a shameful subject that should be very like back in the old days. I mean, if it was cancer or anything else, then yeah, then you know, then people talk about medical issues. It is a medical issue. Medical issues in my head. It's my 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 brain chemistry. It gets wacko sometimes. I work on it. I get I get right. So, so that's that's why they promote the fact that mental health is important. You know, all these issues, PTSD, everything else. Mm-hmm. It's not shameful. You know, you know, you need to talk about it. You need to confront it. You know, deal with it. Like all the other medical issues out there, whether it be cancer, you know, uh, dandruff, whatever, you need to deal with whatever medical issue you have and, and try to cope with it and make and make it part of who you are. And that's what that that's who I Instead am. Instead of just keep running away from it, acting like it doesn't yeah. exist, it's like, well, right, exactly, it does exist, you know. So that's why I tell people, yeah, people know I'm bipolar. People who know me. And I just said, yeah, that's what I am. I mean, you, you get to know me. I'm a little crazy. That's Jimmy Holt, a crazy person. But I'm not totally crazy. <laughs> and I think you'll like, most people will like me. And we'll take it from there. That's all. <laughs> With my bipolar. So, so like, like yes. Yeah, it's it's been an honor to get to know you, especially going back Thank and forth. <laughs> well, great. Yeah. It's, been, it's, been it's been a wonderful time talking to you. I, I yeah, truly I'll enjoyed let you know talking to you. Yeah, I'll get you on for some other fun uh, chats, and uh, I'll let you know when this episode airs. <laughs> Sounds good. Let me know. That'll be great. Thousand percent, and you be safe out there. Thank you very much. Take care. We'll return after these messages. Hey, it's Brent Pope, the host of Breakfast with Brent Pope. You've seen me on some of your favorite TV shows, saying things like "Give it up, Jimmy. You got to sink this putt to win." On Breakfast with Brent Pope, I sit down with guests from the entertainment world, and we do it all over breakfast. Or should I say breakfast? Every week on Breakfast, you get inside Hollywood info and tips, great breakfast wrecks and booty debates. Most of all, you get the most delightful 30 minutes of your week. So dig in. It's breakfast time. Listen at breakfast.com, Apple Podcasts, or wherever fine podcasts are found. Do you ever find yourself thinking about who would win in a fight between Goku and Superman? Hi, I'm James Gavsey, and on the Who Would Win show, me and my co-host Ray ignore anything important happening in the outside world and debate fictional battles between characters from comics, movies, and video games. We got a new show every week, and almost always am I the winner. (laughs) Yeah, not true, Ray. In the past, we've discussed such matches as... 
Captain America versus Darth Vader, Solid Snake versus the Iron Giant, classic matchups like RoboCop versus Terminator, and even the Muppets versus Sesame Street. That one was crazy. So if you're a fan of geek culture and love a spirited debate, check out the Who Would Win Show wherever you get your podcasts or check us out at whowouldwinshow.com. Follow us on the web on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Apple, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Feel free to review our show and leave comments on any of those sites. Thanks a million for listening. It's a jacked up.